If there's one word that can be applied to all families everywhere since the very beginning, that word would likely be complex. The family unit in all its varieties is woven into everything we are collectively and individually. With all that complexity, there are bound to be challenges. Some of us may feel unaccepted by family members. Others may have jealous brothers who fake our death and sell us to strangers. But as countless witnesses can attest, God can craft miracles out of messes. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding so that the Spirit can teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. One of the ways that Spirit has helped me get through contention is by giving me the power to have sympathy and seeing things from their side of the story. The first thing I think of is when I joined the church um, as, a, as a 26-year-old. Um, that was a really difficult time. My family wasn't super happy with it. Um, many of my friends weren't happy with it. And yet the Spirit sort of convinced me over and over again that what I was doing was exactly the right thing. When there's contention around me, the Spirit has guided me to know when I have to be quiet, when don't make a comment that may hurt someone or will may hurt myself when I'm in contention with, my, with myself. Just that peace that came to mind um, over and over again sort of convinced me to continue on with my investigation of the church and ultimately to get baptized and, and join. Welcome, everybody, and thank you for being here today. Today's discussion topics come from our studies in Genesis chapters 37 through 41. And the first topic we're going to discuss is Joseph and his brothers, a family divided. And the second topic is the Lord was with Joseph in his adversity. And to help us with these topics, we're going to first introduce our returning scholar, Patrick Mason. Welcome, Patrick. Thanks. Great to be here. Patrick is an associate professor of history at Utah State University. And seated next to Patrick to help with our discussion is our special guest, Kevin Schaefer. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Kevin is an associate professor of sociology at Brigham Young University, and his research uh, specializes in fatherhood, masculinities, and blended families. So we're real excited to get your take on this story. I'm excited to dive deeper into this topic. Okay, so before we jump into this, uh, just give us an overview of was there anything that stood out to you or anything you're specifically excited about as we jump into these chapters? So I think the first thing that really stood out to me was the intergenerational effects that we see throughout this entire uh, story. Um, we have sort of intergenerational trauma uh, taking place uh, from father to son to father to son. And so that's one of the biggest things that really stood out to me. All right. Thank you. But I mean, this is just an amazing story, right? I mean, just with such amazing characters and conflict and the way that it gets resolved, uh, just with so many lessons. So I'm excited to dig in. You know, anything they could make a Broadway play out of? I think yeah, it's gotta, exactly. It's got to be pretty good, right? Pretty good, right? <laughs> Write some songs. There, yeah. there you go. <laughs> well, let's jump into the first topic. Uh, Joseph and his brothers, a family divided. I'll let you start us out, Patrick. With this complex family dynamic, what do we take away from it? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it, if, if you open up to, to Genesis chapter 37, verse 3, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. And that causes a problem. He gets this code of many colors. His, his brothers aren't thrilled uh, with, with this, and also with some of his dreams, where he says that he will rule over them. That doesn't play well <laughs> with, with the older brothers. Uh, immediately, and this shouldn't surprise us, that in verse 4, 
When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You know, we see this sometimes in families. We see this sometimes in other kinds of communities. Uh, if there's a feeling, whether real or perceived, that one person is, is getting special treatment uh, and is loved more than, than all the rest. So, Kevin, I want, I'm curious with this, um, you know, being um, an expert in fatherhood, <laughs> like what did uh, Jacob do as a father that perhaps he could have tweaked a little bit so that this kind of tension wasn't there among the brothers? Right. I think the, the problem here is obviously the favoritism. The, the coat of many colors signifies that he's the favorite, right? Uh, I imagine everybody else in these very drab clothes and, <laughs> and, and here's Joseph in this amazing, amazing coat, right? Um, and, and I think you're right. Like, I think sort of the way that, that he sort of shared the story, um, like I can see, you know, the brothers being really, really upset and Joseph sort of sort of poking at him a little bit, right? <laughs> like, here, I'm going to tell you this, this dream that I had where you all bow down to me. Um, I can't imagine that went over well. It didn't go over well. We know it didn't go over well. Well, and we see even in verse two, you know, sometimes, you know, they're out tending the flocks together and it says, and Joseph brought unto their, his father their evil report. I mean, so he's not always saying nice things about his <laughs> brothers either, right? Uh, yeah, a little bit, I don't know, a tattletale or, 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 or something like that. So all of this combined, you know. And we, we've seen this other times in the scriptures, for example, with uh, Nephi and his brothers. Mm -hmm. This idea of Nephi being younger, but being told that you are going to be a ruler. And that created a lot of conflict within that family dynamic. These kind of standard uh, social arrangements, you know, where the older is supposed to, you know, be, be the privileged one. The scriptures oftentimes turn that on its head. Yeah, and I think of the story of Joseph Smith and his family, right. where they could have had that same level of conflict, but there was trust and love in that family. It was very, very different, right? I think that there's a really interesting parallel there and how our families can operate in a way that shows trust and love towards everyone. I love that. So when have you seen uh, a similar conflict, you know, whether growing up or with your own children, a, a dynamic that was a little complicated? David, go ahead. Yeah, I remember growing up, my, my older brother, he was all into soccer. So I remember my dad taking us all to the soccer games, practices, watching soccer on TV. I was into it. At one point, my father realized that. So he's like, I'll stop taking you to the soccer games. I was like, I'm fine with it. So I saw a lot of, he spent a lot of time with my older brother, and I, I, I wouldn't think he was, prefer, he will prefer him, but definitely he will the same interest that so, I wasn't. So how did that make you feel, you know, even as a kid, uh, when you saw that attention given to uh, that specific brother? Uh, at first I was like, oh, I, I feel sad because I don't share the same things, but then I realized I'm a different, you know, I have my own personality. Right, I can find something that we both like. Right? Did you ever find that that connection between you and your father? Actually, yes, but it was later on in life. I okay. was I studied I studied culinary arts, and at first he wasn't into it. He was like, "No, my son is not gonna be a chef." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Sorry, right?" But then after that, I will bring the food that I will make in. I'll make the food at home, and then he was like my son is going to be a chef, right? <laughs> and he will tell his friends that he, is, he cooks so good. So, you know, then I, we found that, right? But okay. it took years for us to find something like it. That's a great example. Now, I want to uh, go to Kevin on this. Uh, how do you see um, parents and specifically fathers uh, 
with the struggle with connecting with kids that may not have the same interests that they do? Yeah, it's absolutely a challenge that I think a lot of fathers uh, face. Um, I think one of the things that that we have to do is we have to realize um, what our kids' interests are and and do our best to really spend time with them in those things. You, you might actually be surprised, right, that you might actually actually have that interest as well um, because your child has that interest. And so I think it really sort of points to the importance of, of spending time with our children, really trying to connect with them and acknowledging that they have different sort of personalities and ideas and attitudes than, than we might have, right? They're not mini us's that just run around. They, they actually are their own person. Specifically with this story, you have the complexity of the mothers, because the siblings come from different mothers. Uh, you have the father to son relationship, and you have the sibling to sibling. Very complex. How do we manage all of these things and, and try to live peaceably and in harmony? I would be a rich man if I knew the exact answer <laughs> to that question. But, but I, I think the way that we do that is that we really have to um, show love and respect towards one another. Um, it's the most important thing that we can possibly do as a family. Um, and for those of us who are members of the church, I think that we really should put our eye towards our, our Heavenly Father and towards Jesus Christ and really try to bring the Spirit as much as possible into our families. You know, so, so I'm curious, one of the things, we've, we've talked about parents and children, but there's also this sibling-to-sibling -sibling relationship too. And, and we see here, for instance, in verse 11 of chapter 37, that Joseph's brothers envied him. How do you kind of manage that? I mean, there's natural sibling rivalries. It could be a blended family. It could be any kind of family, right? Where, yeah. where siblings have these, these kinds of tensions. So what, what are some, some good tools or ways to manage that? Right. I think, I think the most important thing here is that there's a difference between favor and favoritism. Um, and, and one thing that we can do is that we recognize that each of our family relationships is a little bit different. Each person is an individual and they need to be treated as an individual. But at the other, on the other side um, of that, I think the thing that's really important is that we don't show that we have a particular favorite, right? That's the thing that really, really matters here. So we can treat each of our children differently because they are different people and we can be interested in the things that they're interested in. But we really, when we enter in toward of that, you know, this is a favored child, that's where things really start to fall apart. So are you saying that the, a lot of the sibling rivalry stems from the way the parents Absolutely. Treating them? Okay. Absolutely, yeah. I think a lot of sibling rivalry is based in how parents treat their children and the perception of unfairness, right? So treating children differently is not a problem. The problem is when it's perceived as if one of these children is better off or more loved or more respected by the parents than one of the other ones. That's when we get into real problems. So, so I come from a family of four boys, not 12, uh, but, but, but four. <laughs> uh, and so my older brothers are six and eight years older than me. And then there is myself and my younger brother is two years younger. And so, so, so you know, my, my parents' financial situation got a little bit better as, as they got older. So my, so my older brothers joke about the milkshake generation. <laughs> that My younger brother and I, when we went out to dinner, we could order a milkshake, right? Okay, Which would right. have been unthinkable for right, them, right, right. right? And we sort of joke about it, but there are these, you know, just kind of natural divisions that happen within families. 
Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely a case, right? And I think it's it's easier to look back on that now and make jokes about how it's a milkshake generation when you're an adult. Right. It doesn't feel that way when you're no, a kid, right? right? It feels vastly, vastly unfair. Like, why is Patrick getting a milkshake when I didn't get a milkshake I when I was I got water, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> if I was lucky. Right. right? <laughs> so are there any sort of questions that you have to ask somebody who specializes in families, uh, fatherhood specifically, that he could perhaps help in your own specific situation. Lindsay, you have a question? Yeah, thanks. I'm curious, in your research, have you found themes uh, or qualities that parents have that help foster better relationships either between them and their children or between siblings? That's a great question, yeah. Um, I think that there are really two big ones that I would really point to. The first one is what we call in academia warmth, which is exactly what it sounds like, <laughs> right? Um, hugging, being affectionate, telling each other that you love one another, um, sort of very, very simple, what seem to be simple actions, but they really are powerful actions. The second one is um, focusing on what we call emotional or social support. When things get hard, when things get tough, when things get rough and tumble out there, who do our kids turn to? When we turn to our family members, that really fosters really strong uh, family relationships. And I think in these scriptures, we don't see that here, right? We don't see support. We don't see warmth. I don't think Jacob really understands what warmth and, and support really looks like and doesn't know how to model it for his own children, right? And so that's where we get into, a, I think, uh, a, where there are some major problems, but also opportunities to grow as families. So, Lindsay, uh, based off of what um, Kevin uh, said, how do you feel like those principles can help you in your own family? I really liked what he had to say. I immediately thought of other families that um, come to my mind who exhibit those qualities, the warmth and the emotional support. And I feel like in our family, I think that we we do pretty good at those. And I, I feel like having him validate that makes me want to do it even more, like more hugs and more warmth and to listen and to ask good questions and just be there for when they might need me emotionally. Thank you so much. What a great example. I love that. So for families that are in a situation um, that there may be some complexities, uh, Kevin, what would you say it would be a good first step for them? I think the first thing that you need to do is you need to realize that this takes time. I think sometimes when we read the scriptures and we liken the scriptures unto ourselves, we think that the, the amount of time that it takes us to read this is the amount of time it's going to take us to fix the problem. <laughs> um, and, and that's clearly not the case, right? We, we have you know, thousands of years of history in, in a relatively small book here. So I think that's the first thing that we need to do. We need to give ourselves permission to have time. I think to take time, we need to give ourselves um, permission to feel um, all kinds of emotions, right? It doesn't always have to be happy. It's okay if it's not always happy. Um, but you'll eventually get there if you sort of do the things that we've been talking about um, today during our discussion. You know, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because I'm sure there are some families that, you know, maybe here in the audience or are watching at home that are thinking, I don't, I don't have that, you know, and, and hopefully they can, you know, take from what we've discussed today and try to implement some of those things and, you know, start today. And I'm really excited to dive in a little more to some of these complexities in, in, within this story. I'm trying to let God prevail in my life by allowing Him 
to just use me for good. I think the way I've really learned to let God prevail is just by feeling the peace that He provides. I am letting God prevail in my life by remembering who I am, especially knowing that He wants me back. So often in my life, I've had things happen that cause questions that I didn't have the answers to. But if I just stood, stepped back and trusted that God had a plan, even though I didn't know what it entailed, I really could just seize that peace and let it take care of me. So let's jump into the next topic, which I'm really, really excited about because we get a lot more information with the story and it really starts to develop. And that second topic is the Lord was with Joseph in his adversity. So what sort of context do we need to understand what we're going to be talking about? So as the story picks up, so uh, Joseph has been sold into Egypt and uh, you know, oftentimes the, the word that's used in the King James Bible is servant, but really it means slave. He's, he's sold into slavery. And, and he's, he's bought by Potiphar, who's a, the captain of the guard for uh, Pharaoh, a really important you know, position, a you know, major figure. And, and Joseph, uh, I think one of the great lines is in chapter 39, verse 2. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph, right? And in verse three, we see that Potiphar recognizes this. He recognizes there's something special about Joseph. Uh, this speaks to Joseph's character too. He, he, he has kind of kept his chin up, right? And, and has continued to, um, to, to excel and do his best, even in a really horrible situation. As far as their worship, their uh, worship of deity, what does it mean that a guy like Potiphar recognized that the Lord was with Joseph. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, obviously, you know, the Egyptians had their own gods, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes we underappreciate just how mixed the the, the kind of Middle East and, and that region was. There was trade going back and forth, and and the Egyptians were open to to other kinds of gods. And so, so for Potiphar to be able to recognize that the, this guy, there's there's something special something about special, this. Something special, something different. Yeah, he may not worship our gods, but 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 he's he's got his god, uh, and 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 he's in good with him. All right. Anything you want to add to that? I'm intrigued by. Um, just how in tune with the spirit Joseph is throughout this entire um, this entire discussion, and how that how critically important that is to understanding how he gets through this adverse period in his life. I mean, he had every excuse to be down, to feel negative, yet he carried himself in a way that others are recognizing, man, there's something, what is going on with this guy? But also like the self-doubt, right? Remember, he's had this dream, mm. right? My brothers are gonna bow down, I'm gonna be a ruler. He's the, he's the furthest thing from that right now, right? And, and so how do you maintain that confidence in, in, in your own, you know, what God has in store for you, even when your life seems to be going in exactly the opposite direction? So how do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> well, I think, um, so what, what we see here is in verse four, he found grace in Potiphar's sight. He served him, he did his job, right? And one of the things uh, President Oaks has taught this, but also Viktor Frankl, who was a survivor of the Holocaust, taught this. He says, the one thing that people can't take away from you is your agency, how you choose to respond to a situation. And so Joseph is making choices here in terms of how he's gonna respond. I love that. So what is something that you do to help you get through a difficult situation. Emily, go ahead. I think something that helps me when I'm going through like difficult times is keeping a good perspective. Like 
understanding that sometimes things will be hard right now, but under, uh, knowing that God is good and that things will be, get better as they go on. Uh, Emily, how did you learn that lesson? I learned it through hard experiences. I, um, I'm a freshman at BYU, and living on my own has been a hard time, but as I've like, kept a larger perspective that things may be hard right now in my classes, but they'll get better as the semester goes on has really helped. Do you feel like, because it's very clear in the scriptures that the Lord was with, was with Joseph. Do you feel at sometimes that the Lord is specifically kind of putting his arm around you and saying, Emily, I'm here with you? Yeah, for sure. What is that like? It feels like someone's giving you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you for sharing that. So what other evidences do we have from this story that the Lord is constantly with Joseph? Joseph clearly has a very strong spiritual gift to be able to interpret dreams that the individual who's dreaming it doesn't know how to, how to interpret. I think the thing that really strikes me is he knows who he is. He knows what his purpose is. Um, and that's just a really, I think, critical thing that when we have adverse experiences in our lives to know who we are and what our goals uh, are, what God's goals are for us. You know, and we see that in the church today with, um, with a lot of the themes, for example, the young women's theme, the young men's theme of really trying to understand and identify who we, who we really are. I mean, it begins with, I am a child of God. Right, I mean, we, we, we teach this to, to, our, to our children li literally from the cradle. And sometimes we forget just how powerful it is. Yeah, I love that. So going back to Joseph, he knows who he is, and that's really uh, evidenced in a situation that he finds himself in while he's in Potiphar's home. Uh, you want to give us a little uh, heads up into what we're going to be talking about with, with this part? Yeah, so uh, Joseph must be a good-looking dude, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so, so Potiphar's wife uh, is checking him out, and, and she, she actually makes several advances on him. And he says in verse 9 of chapter 39, there's no one greater in this house than, than I. Uh, Potiphar hasn't kept back anything from me except you, right, his, his wife. Uh, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And what I love here is, is Joseph saying, look, I have responsibilities to my master, right? right? But most of all, he has an obligation to God. And that's what grounds him. And he says, I can't do this. Because you would almost expect him to say, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against Potiphar? Right. Look at what he's given me. He's given me all these things. Yet Joseph recognizes, I'm not accountable to Potiphar. I'm accountable to God. How do you think that would change? You know, from your uh, perspective, uh, working with families and, and individuals, what would change in people's behavior if, they, if their accountability was to God first as opposed to others around them? A ton. <laughs> That's the answer. Um, I think things wouldn't just change at the individual level, though. I think that we would absolutely have a, a more just, more equitable, kinder, more loving society as an addition uh, to that as well, right? One of the things that strikes me about this story and this part of the story is that Joseph has seen what the consequences of sin are. I think that that, you know, really points to um, how he views the world and, and really helps him get through this adverse experience in, in his life. You know, and it's interesting as we talk about Joseph's role in preserving Israel, 
Yeah. You know, and, and President Nelson speaks to this of what, what does Israel mean? Yeah. And uh, let God, it, it, Israel means let God prevail. Um, so President Nelson, he says this, one of the Hebraic meanings of the word Israel is let God prevail. Thus, the very name of Israel refers to a person who is willing to let God prevail in his or her life. That concept stirs my soul. This story of Joseph in Egypt is a wonderful example of how the people who were called Israel first learned to let God prevail. Joseph shows confidence, like you spoke of, that confidence that he has in this message when he says, God meant it for good. It's a message that is reinforced over and over throughout the Old Testament. The Lord is gathering those who are willing to let God prevail in their lives. The Lord is gathering those who will let God be the most important influence in their lives. How have you received blessings in your life because you have let God prevail? Wesley, go ahead. Perfect. Thank you. I feel like pretty much in every aspect of my life until now, um, every time that I have let God prevail, I've seen a difference. Uh, Making decisions, even little ones though, day to day, um, about how you live your life can affect not only, you know, the blessings that are promised in the scriptures, but so many more that we don't ever even notice. Now, did you, did you always recognize when you were being blessed for your righteousness? Absolutely not. No, there are many times <laughs> where my mom is like, don't you realize all the blessings that are coming from this? When there were times that I'd be frustrated that I'd have to make these decisions. And then afterwards... Um, you know, my mom would point them out or I would recognize them. There are blessings that I didn't recognize that I received before that I'm just now recognizing that I received, you know, back in high school or on my mission that I'm like, oh, I did get that. And I didn't even realize it until now. Thank you so much for being so open to share with us. And it's interesting you you mentioned that because we had a a question from one of our viewers uh, about that. And I'd love to get your reaction to this question Hi, my name is Abby, and I am from Burley, Idaho. After reading the story of Joseph in Egypt, I was amazed at Joseph's faith and devotion to the Lord. He was always able to recognize God's hand in his life, even during the hard times. It's easy for us to recognize his hand after the fact, to look back on our trials and recognize when he was there. But how can we notice him in the middle of the trials? What do you think? I think it really depends on the Spirit and being in tune to the Spirit. And that's going to be different for every single person. Um, I know for me, the way that I feel um, the Lord's hand in my life during um, adverse events um, is through uh, just a comfort that comes to my mind. I feel a sense of calm and peace come to my mind, Um, even in just very, very fleeting moments. Um, Those fleeting moments can be really beneficial for us as we go through difficult circumstances. Thank you for sharing that. How about you, Patrick? One of the things the scriptures talk about over and over is to remember what the Lord has done. Uh, And so for me to be able to remember past times that God got me through something or remembering uh, stories from the scriptures, right? I mean, this is one of the reasons why I have these stories to to give us confidence that, that if God could help Joseph, he can help me. And that kind of remembering the Lord's mercies is actually really important to me, getting me through tough times. So uh, Patrick, I wanna, uh, let's get back to Joseph and the situation that he's in, specifically the prison. That's a pretty grave situation. Yeah, exactly. And so despite this position that he's in, because of the result of Potiphar's wife lying about him, 
right? And so he's, he's not only been a victim of now what his, his brothers have done to him, he's, he's been a victim now of false report by, by Potiphar's wife. And he did something so right. He, he did everything right. I did everything you told me to do, and yeah, you're, now you're in prison. <laughs> exactly. So now he finds himself in prison. I can't imagine the conditions were good, right? And, and, and then, you know, the Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker find themselves in there. And, and he interprets their dreams. And, and this is the thing that sometimes we forget is that they're, they're released. But then uh, Joseph is still in jail, in prison for another two years. Wow. So, I mean, at, at this point, the narrative, it's, it's all downhill for Joseph. So do you guys ever feel that way? You ever feel like when you, whenever you're trying to do everything right, the Lord just kind of forgets about you? Jenny, please. It's perspective. He's redirecting you. You're never forgotten because you're his favorite, always. And, and how, how did you learn that, that lesson? My mother, she, she was uh, one of the most beautiful people you'd ever want to meet. So, Can you tell us a little bit about her? Um, my mother passed from Parkinson's, 15 years of long suffering. And with the dementia, she actually forgot words, simple words. My mother could say the Lord's Prayer till the day she passed. That's my mother. Always reminding her, always remembering. Always. I love that. So much trust and love. So, You know, we've been talking about Joseph, and, and this is a story about Joseph, but really it's a story about God. And, it, and it's, it's, it's about God's love uh, for, for his children. And God knew that there was going to be a famine. Right? God, God knew that these things were, were going to happen and that many people were going to suffer and were going to die. And now, I, I don't think God wanted Joseph's brothers to treat him the way he did, right? But, but God can take bad things and turn them into good. And so, because of Joseph's faithfulness, he was in a position to do God's will. You know, he saved his family. That's great, right? But he saved the entire nation of Egypt from famine. So God had a plan. God turned bad into good, and he used Joseph to, to, to show love to an entire nation. I love that. And Kevin, I want to ask you, in your experience working with, with families, uh, how much of a focus is there on putting God at the center to help resolve a lot of these problems that you see, regardless of religious affiliation? Yeah, I think for families who who have faith at the center of, of their lives, we know that they do better on all sorts of measures. Um, they have children who um, who are happier and healthier. Um, the relationships are better, and I think it really it really centers on um, having your home centered in uh, in whatever religious beliefs you might have. Thank you so much. I love how much we learn from from Joseph's faith. And what we learn about God, I'm really excited to, to delve more into this story and other topics that are involved with this in the footnotes portion of the episode. I think for me, like how I feel the Holy Ghost is like feeling like a peace of mind where things just make sense and be able to have that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling like a hug. I feel like the Spirit really tells me um, to be intentional about how I spend my time. Uh, especially just having moments when I can just be quiet and be still and have the Spirit with me and just invite the Spirit to be with me. 
The Holy Ghost talks to me through other people, and it's just a divine knowing that is just always there with me and helps guide me and gives me confidence. It speaks to me through music. Music is so powerful, and um, I've tried to teach my children lots of songs, and the message in the song is can, can just teach them truth. And the Spirit helps confirm that truth to us through those powerful words set to music and song. And oftentimes I found answers to my prayers when a song will just pop into my head and um, give me that comfort and answer that I needed to just keep going on. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. Uh, really excited to jump into this story and uh, kind of discuss a few more things. And one thing that we were talking about earlier is a big part of this story is you have a bunch of men behaving badly. <laughs> so naturally, you know, here were three guys sitting among right. these beautiful flowers. So, uh, so let's let's talk to this. Let's kind of beat each other up a little bit. No, but seriously, let's talk about this idea of we see a lot of this going on with these a lot of just poor behavior that leads to a lot of uh, bad situations. So, where should we start with this story? Yeah, I mean, you just see like all of these, in some ways, kind of stereotypical male behaviors. I mean, aggression, uh, the kind of revenge, jealousy, <laughs> jealousy, deception, right? Those are not positive Christ-like <laughs> attributes, <laughs> right. right? But they are oftentimes associated with, with men and, and masculinity. And in the ancient world, maybe they didn't have a ton of options, right? right? right. Um, you know, it, it was just a totally different world than we live in now. But we do have options mm -hmm. now. We live in the 21st century. So, I mean... What, what does it look like, you know, what do more positive male traits or masculine traits uh, look like? Yeah, so I, I mean, I think there are so many positive aspects of masculinity, but like anything, when you go to extremes, that's when you run into potential problems, mm -hmm. right? So one, one thing might be that men are expected to be protective, right? Protect their families, protect their children, something like that. That's a good but, thing. That's a great thing, right? right. Um, but when it gets into aggression, right, which is sort of being overly protective, that's when we get into difficulties, right? So I think um, when, when we study masculinities, when we study um, how men act and operate in their families or in other social settings, so we're not saying masculinity is negative, like absolutely not, right? What we're saying is that masculinity can be a positive, but when it goes to an extreme, that's when it becomes potentially problematic. And I think we have lots of examples of extremes here in the in these in these scriptures, right? So one thing that uh, um, I, I love about the story of Joseph is that he kind of bucks those trends of the stereotypical macho male of he doesn't seek after revenge, he he doesn't get violent, he has a very kind, forgiving heart. He gets and, tempted by a beautiful woman. Yeah, and that's what you know. This story, I really love that part of the story where here. He resists this uh, sexual temptation with this beautiful woman when, you know, he was given free reign over this household and, you know, she's flirting with him. Yet he kind of, he pushes her aside. He's like, no. And he suffers greatly for it. It shows Joseph is a virtuous person. In this case, it's a great strength for him. Yeah, it's, it's a huge source of strength. And, and that's that's what carries him through when, you know, life keeps knocking him down. I love the, this notion of virtue is not a feminine or a masculine trait, right? And, and, and 
too often in the church, I think we just think about virtue uh, as a kind of moral or, or in terms of sexual virtue, right? There's a chastity, mm. right? But virtue is, is about honesty. Virtue is about the way that we interact with other people. It's, it's, it's the, um, you know, I, th I think it's, it's a really prime character trait for men or women. Yeah, I think virtue is living out your values. Yeah, what do totally. You, what do you value the most in your it, life? It's integrity. Right? Exactly right. Yeah, and he clearly shows that integrity, right? And yeah. not only with Potiphar's wife, but with Potiphar himself. Mm -hmm. I mean, here you have this young man who was sold as a slave, and I'm not sure how long it took him to get to that point, but he saw something in him. He's like, all right, I trust you. And there was something virtuous about Joseph. And then the same thing, you know, when he's in, in the prison, you know, uh, the guard is like, man, I like this kid. He's great. And he really is able to earn the trust of everybody who comes in contact with him. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's such a big thing, you know, as an employee. Uh, I mean, so, so we've been talking a lot about kind of interpersonal and familiar relationships, but at work too. I mean, do people trust you? Do they trust that you're going to do a good job? Do they trust that when the boss isn't looking, that, right. that, that you're still going to do what, you, what you're supposed to do? Exactly right, yeah. I, I think one of the things I'm really struck by um, is that there are, there's a lot of adversity that Joseph clearly goes through here. And he could have made that negative. Mm -hmm. He could have if he was sort of going with a stereotypical masculine sort of ideology, right? He could have been revengeful towards others. And I think we actually probably would have read it and said, well, I, mean, I get it, <laughs> right? Yeah, right? Like, yeah, like that's, that's not been a great life. I, I totally get why you, why you would do that. But he doesn't do that at all. So he takes that pain, that adversity that he's experienced, and instead of making it a negative, he makes it a positive, right? And, and that's something that I think um, really it shows that he's a, a very caring, um, uh, compassionate individual. Yeah, and I think, you know, Joseph is incredibly talented, right? I mean, th this, this is a talented guy. Very and, smart to be able to yep. organize everything and all he did to preserve, brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah, so he, he has been blessed with enormous spiritual gifts. And, and I think about uh, section 46 of the Doctrine and Covenants, which talks about spiritual gifts. Everybody has as unique things about them that God has given them. But uh, in, in, in verse 12 of section 46, it says, to some is given one, to some is given another, that all may be profited thereby. The purpose of spiritual gifts isn't to say, hey, look how great I am, right? Yeah. It's, it's to bless other people. It's outward oriented. And that's exactly what Joseph does is he saves the entire nation. That's I like, that's that. real manhood. Yeah, right? I mean, I, 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 even as you're saying, I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, one of the greatest gifts that he has is the gift to interpret those dreams, mm -hmm. but it was all for the benefit mm -hmm. of, of somebody else and helping preserve them, you know, and even the, the intelligence that he has, it's to benefit a whole nation of people, right? Yeah. I think we see real growth in Joseph over the course of the story, right? We see somebody who, I mean, honestly, sort of presents the dreams to his brothers in sort of a <laughs> full of himself kind of way, um, maybe. That's yeah. how I read it. Yeah. Um, and then um, completely pulls a 180 over the course of all that adversity that he is experiencing and doesn't present it that way at all, presents it as a way to be protective of other people. You know, I love how um, even Pharaoh recognizes. I mean, Pharaoh, I mean, when you think right. of an Egyptian Pharaoh, right. you think of somebody who is just so powerful, 
it was all about the prestige and yeah, you have- There are pyramids there to, that, that <laughs> yeah, speak to, yeah, I mean, right. these are egos. <laughs> so I wonder how much of an influence did Joseph have on this particular Pharaoh that really caused him to change his heart? Because he, he says in, in chapter 41, verse 38, uh, Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? I mean, it's one thing to have the spirit with you, and it's another thing to where others, it's so obvious that others can recognize that so easily and see it. And Pharaoh's God was not his God. Right. This is a perfect example of how goodness comes from so many different parts. The fact that Joseph is welcomed and accepted, and he's put in his position from those that are not of the house of Israel. Yeah, and remember, Joseph marries an Egyptian woman. Yeah. Right? And so, so this is, uh, again, this sort of complicates some of the kind of stories that, that, that we tell. So if, if, if you're descended from Manasseh or from Ephraim, you are from the house of Israel. You're also from Egypt, right? Uh, and, and so, so you know, it's, it's a big, complicated world, and God has shown his mercy on all these so, folks. So what does that teach us about a worldwide church and, and what, you know, who is included in the house of Israel. Yeah, I think one of the things that really speaks to the truthfulness of the gospel, at least from my perspective, is that so many people from so many diverse backgrounds who think completely different things often, right, about how the world should look, how it should operate, all of those things, yet there's an agreement um, among those individuals, right, that the truth and the truthfulness of the gospel. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Um, and I sort of, it sort of harkens back to our discussion of, of families and faith and how being centered in, in that one core belief can bring together a diverse range of peoples um, towards a common purpose. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say, I mean, I've benefited uh, from this as a man, sort of connecting us mm -hmm. to what we were talking about earlier with, with masculinity, right? I mean, that, that I've had the opportunity to, to associate with lots of other men, mm -hmm. right? Uh, a lot of whom are very different than me. Uh, you know, as a teenager where you're, you're, you're kind of distancing yourself from your, your parents a little bit, mm -hmm. it's just natural part of, of development and growth, right? Those young men's leaders to be there for me were huge in my development. I think about my mission presidents. I, I think about the, the, the men that I've served with and just the way, like incredibly successful men, Josephs, right? And they're humble and they're service oriented. And I'm like, I want to be like that, man. You know, they're dedicated to their family. They're dedicated to God uh, when they didn't have to be. I'm glad you said that. You know, that I, even as you were talking, I, I keep thinking of, you know, some of the, the positive influences that I've had. You know, when I was 11, my, my dad passed away. And so I, I really spent a huge part of my life looking for positive male role models and it was amazing how, even now as I look back, there were so many. And one in particular, uh, there was a guy that he was, uh, he was our home teacher. He was the elders quorum president. And uh, his name was Rich Harris. It, 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 I'll never forget him because I remember waking up uh, to go on my mission. We were reshingling our roof in Arizona. <laughs> uh -huh. And this is like late September, early October. <laughs> so it's hot. <laughs> and here's Rich, it's 6 a.m., nailing in shingles on the roof. And that image has stuck with me to this day. The fact that it so easily comes to my mind 
because it was so powerful to see here's a man who didn't have to be there. He recognized here's a family in need and he chose to serve us. You know, and I just look positive role models like that. I think can have a huge impact on changing this view of what it really means to, to be a man, right? Yeah. And to have those, those positive uh, male role models fulfilling what our true identity really is and should be. So I think of my great-grandfather who um, was a coal miner in, in Alabama um, in the 1920s and 1930s and led a, a strike of, of, his, of his coal mine until black and white miners were paid the exact, the exact same wage. Wow. What year is this? In the 1920s. Wow. So, um, so, and that's been a major um, story for me, like just throughout my entire life of just thinking of a man who I never knew. He died in the 1950s. Um, but, but feeling that deep connection of, of, of similarity between us and the, and the kinds of values that we, that we both have. So, Well, that's a man standing up for what's right. In, in, right. a very, yeah, in, in a very in a very manly face. occupation, in I, a very can you think of an occupation more manly than coal mining. Well, and, and, <laughs> and in the 1920s South, right. where yeah. standing up for yeah. equal race relations would not have been a popular thing yeah, to do. Exactly right. right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's you know that, yeah. that reminds me of um, uh, you know going back to to this story. There's an example of uh, in the prisoners. Can you? Uh, there's one. Joseph kind of makes a deal with somebody. He's like, hey, when you get out remember me and he, he doesn't yeah but then later does uh, give us a little back background what's going on with with this part so he's there in jail and and the the, the baker and the butler come and and that they have these dreams right joseph has said you know when, when you get out of here remember me right they put in a good word <laughs> right <laughs> and at the very end of chapter 40 verse 23 yet did not the chief butler remember joseph but forgot him and for me i think about you know, over and over we see in, in these verses, it, it says that, you know, God is with Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in uh, chapter 39, verse 2, and then verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. So many people throughout history have found uh, power in this story because in whatever kind of marginalized situation they're in and whatever kind of disadvantaged situation they're in, I, th I think people have been able to look at Joseph and see themselves in that. Um, not only has God not forgotten you, but God is now working through other people uh, to ensure that that marginalization uh, is alleviated. God is on your side. Absolutely. So even as you're talking, I'm thinking there's something behind what you're saying. Uh, there's a little too much passion. Uh, and I, can, <laughs> I can see it in your eyes. Give, me, give, me a, give us a little more. Like um, what prompted you to say that? How can you testify of that so boldly? So I, I've spent a lot of time as a, as a historian, I spent a lot of time studying African-American history and studying the history of slavery and discrimination and, and Jim Crow uh, and um, talking with, with people. I mean, there's still people alive who lived through Jim Crow, right? Mm -hmm. And, and lived, lived through what it was like um, to, to, to be segregated. And some of my all-time heroes are the people who leaned on God. One of my favorite all-time women is a woman named Fannie Lou Hamer. She was a poor sharecropper in Mississippi, uh, didn't know that she had the right to vote constitutionally until some people came and shared that with her. And so she went to, and she was a deeply religious woman. 
And so she went to, to, to vote. And because of that, she's, she's thrown in prison, beaten horrifically, um, sexually abused by her jailers. And she, when she got out and when she would go out and talk to people and she would organize them to go vote, she would sing hymns. And she would tell the stories of the people in the Bible. She would tell stories of Joseph. She would tell stories of, of Moses and the Israelites. For her, this was her resource. This was what she leaned on. These stories have power because God's in them and God's in us. So what would you say to somebody that's out watching this show right now who feels like they have forgotten? I mean, they're, they're not. God does not forget his children. Um, we can feel alone. We can feel lonely. I, I think we don't talk enough about the times when we do feel lonely. I, th I think God sometimes leaves us that way. Um, maybe, you know, for, for us to learn some things, but God never leaves us. And, and if, the, if there is a story from these chapters, from, from the chapters in Exodus, God is with the people who are on the outs of history. Kevin, you were nodding your head. Yeah. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> so the thing that really stands out to me is that um, Joseph goes a completely different way with his adversity. And, and we don't get a lot of context for why he chooses to go a different way. Um, but he does, right? So his father was not the favored son, right? Esau was the favored son. Um, uh, but, uh, and he sort of pass that on into his own family, right? Uh, by, <laughs> by choosing a favorite of his own and creating all kinds of family strife. Uh, I think that he probably didn't know any better, right? Because we know that the way that we parent, um, almost always the best predictor of it is how were we parented when we were kids. And that can be both positive and negative. Absolutely, right? right? Absolutely it can be positive or negative, right? So Joseph, for whatever reason, maybe because he waxed strong in the Lord or whatever it might be, um, uh, chooses a different path. Now, he doesn't have the advantages in the ancient world that we have in our world, right? We have things like therapy and... <laughs> right, right. And parenting books. And parenting books <laughs> and people with PhDs who can pontificate forever right, about right. these certain topics, right? But, but, um, but we're, I'm grateful that we have those resources available to us. Um, you know, it reminds me of the story of Brigham Young uh, when the saints got into the Salt Lake Valley and there was an outbreak, I think, of cholera. Um, Patrick could probably correct me, but <laughs> I think there was an outbreak of cholera in the valley and people were just going to the elders of the church asking for blessings. And he asked, did you go to a doctor? And his response, uh, people were responding, no, I came for a blessing because I'm going to be spiritually healed. And he said, well, that's like praying of your fields, but not putting seeds in the ground. Um, and we can do those things now, right? And we can break those cycles. Uh, and so, you know, thankfully we have those things. Um, there are so many professionals out there, um, both professionals of faith and of different, of our faith and of different faiths that can really help, um, individuals who are struggling. One of the things that I worry about most in the church, um, to be quite frank is, um, that we are not doing this with the men of the church. You know, I... I think that there probably are Relief Society sisters that walk um, other Relief Society sisters down to the bishop's office to get a referral to a therapist. I'm not sure that's happening in our elders' forums, <laughs> um, but it should, right? Right. That's healthy masculinity. Okay, yeah. I love yeah. that. I love that. When, when we read Joseph's story, Joseph can seem so heroic. 
right? Um, and and he is kind of a singular figure. Now, to be fair, I think Donnie had a lot to do with that. <laughs> he, he did. I mean, come yeah, on. It, it, exactly. We needed somebody for Donnie to channel. <laughs> we had to vision, we had to create a visual of this guy. <laughs> exactly. So he helped right. about it. <laughs> uh, you know, we've talked about how inspiring that can be, but it also can be a little bit depressing for people to say, like, I can't be Joseph, right? Mm-hmm. But I think what you're telling is you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. Right? You, you don't, if, if, if you have, have been on, on the raw end of, of a deal, whatever that looks yeah. like, it, it does take integrity, it takes virtue, it does take that kind of individual strength, but you don't have to do it alone. This, yeah. this ideally is what the church is for, but this is what therapists are for. This is what social services providers are there for. We have so many more resources now that, that allow people, that, that, that empower people to change their lives. Right. Yeah, to recognize that there's a problem, to recognize that you know, things being raised a certain way, that didn't seem right. That didn't sit right with me. It's hard to admit those things have happened. Um, It's heroic to be able to admit that they happen and then do something about it and to ensure that it doesn't continue, right, uh, on into your own children. For me, you know, if if, if we say we're Christians, I think the most heroic thing to do is to follow Jesus, right? And and what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 25? How how are the followers of Jesus going to be known? Uh, for I was in hunger and you gave me meat. Joseph did this for all of Egypt, right? I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in, right? Joseph was a stranger in Egypt. Uh, Pharaoh eventually took him in, right? Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison just like Joseph and you came unto me. And then of course the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you in all these ways? Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. So this is what it means to be a man or a woman in Christ, right? And I'm so glad that you chose to to close on that. You know, we've had a great discussion. We've talked about Joseph and his brothers, a divided family and the complexities that come with that. We talked about Joseph and how the Lord was with him in his adversity. Thank you so much. For being here, Kevin, it's been great having you. It's my pleasure, absolutely. Always great, always great to have you with us. Thanks, Patrick, you've just, uh, you've added so much to the discussion. Really appreciate it. And thank all of you for for watching. And we want to invite you, if there's anything that you have felt today that you want to act upon, that you'll do it, Uh, that you'll pray for the strength to be able to act on those promptings and that you'll have a courage to do so. Again, thanks for being here. Please come back next week for another episode of Come Follow Up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.